Hello everyone and welcome to the All The Anime Podcast. It is Friday the 24th of April and we are back with another one of our special episodes focusing on a specific title. Today we are going to be looking at the production from Studio Kara, that being The Dragon Dentist. And joining me to talk about this particular project today, we have our, our regular resident giant filled with a wondrous amount of anime and Animal Crossing based knowledge, that being Mr. Andy Hanley. Hello there, yeah. I spent my lunchtime out in the sun making frying pan. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> so, so I'm not going to get paid. There you go. And that other wonderful voice you heard there is our returning production managerial-based champion, Mr. Keith Copping. Hello, everyone. Uh, how's it going, guys? Everything good so far? We're at the end of the week? I mean, at the time we're recording this, it's Thursday, just so I don't throw you into another time loop, Andy, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I have some time off book, so this is the end of the week for me. So, uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm gonna wait. No, I'm, I'm gonna go out anywhere. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna travel the world. <laughs> no, wait, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna travel the islands of Animal Crossing. Probably, let's be honest here. <laughs> but, but have no fear, folks. The podcast will still be here next week, so we'll have a couple episodes for you. But we'll get to that at the end of the show. As I mentioned, today we are talking about The Dragon Dentist. But if you are a first-time listener, first of all, thank you very much for checking out the show this week. We really appreciate it. If you are not familiar with who the heck we are, we are from Anime Limited, otherwise known as All The Anime. We are the UK's largest independent distributor of Japanese animation, be it on home video, digital, and when the world allows it once again, in the cinema. You can visit our official website, alltheanime.com, and if you want to find us on social media, you can find our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We are All The Anime, all one word. Just put in the corresponding URL, then throw in All The Anime afterwards, and then you should be able to find us there. So, gentlemen, as I mentioned, we are talking about The Dragon Dentist today, and part of the reason why we're doing that is because we're, we've actually now been able to finally announce our release of this wonderful project from Studio Kara. We're going to have more details, exactly, we're going to have some details to share with you about that at the end of the show, everybody, but just to put it out there now, we have got a limited time special early bird pre-order offer at our alltheanime.com online store, so make sure you stick around for the end of the show so you can get all the details on that. That said, this is a podcast, if you want to multitask, go there right now and you can read up all about it while you're hearing us talk about it. So, The Dragon Dentist, everybody, if you are not familiar with this project, it was produced by Studio Kara. Now, Studio Kara is a very interesting, I'm going to say an interesting entity in the world of anime, Andy, which I'm sure you can agree with, because it was founded by Hideki Anno, who certain people may know as being heavily involved, slash the creator of Evangelium. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, obviously Evangelion was a, a Gainax project back in the day and sort of effectively what, what was sort of the core minds behind Gainax have sort of split out two ways. You've got the Studio Kara group kind of headed up by Hideaki Anno and then of course you've got Trigger um, on the, the other side of that. And uh, so, yeah, like, you know, Hideaki Anno went off to do his own thing with Evangelion at, at Kara, but has also also branched out into some other pretty interesting projects of, of which uh, this is uh, one of the more prominent. I mean, broadly speaking, there that studio split, you could almost say, yes, the, the action division and the uh, head division. <laughs> yes, yeah. It, 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 <laughs> I managed to self-censor myself. Ooh. Yeah, it's, it's definitely like the, the, the brain versus the brawn in, in a sense. Yeah, and you mentioned they're sort of embarking on some, some different projects or alluding to that, Andy. The, the place I really want to start at when it comes to Studio Kara is... Obviously, they are the people who have brought us the rebuild of Evangelion films, that being 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, or as they were released over here in the UK on home video, 1.11, 2.22, and 3.33. And obviously, eventually, we'll be getting... Is it, what is it it's called at this point? Is it 3.0 plus 1.0? Uh, yes, one. correct. Yes, indeed. <laughs> or as we like to... 4.44 is just too obvious. Yeah. <laughs> or as we like to kind of phrase it at this point, we cannot have it yet. Um, <laughs> I think everybody's but, saying that, yeah. Exactly, right. But the place where I want to start with Studio Kara actually relates to a, a really cool project, which we at Anime Limited and also when uh, in, from our involvement in Scotland Loves Anime, it's a project that we really, really love. And we have showcased that as part of the Scotland Loves Anime Festival before, which I know you can probably t talk about in some more detail, Andy. This being the Japan Animator Expo. It was Hideaki Anno and Studio 
Kara's way of trying to find some young talent to perhaps give them an opportunity to branch out, work on a short film project. And this has amounted to some truly unique opportunities for young up-and-coming people in the world of the anime industry. And Dragon Dentist is from one of those short films, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, this was actually the the first of the the shorts. Um, so yeah, like the the Japan Anim- Anime Expo ended up kind of being a really great umbrella for a, a whole wealth of kind of Japanese talent. And yeah, as mentioned, you know, we've showcased some of it as Scott Loves Anime. Uh, we've also had uh, Hibiki Yoshizaki for kind of perhaps the most infamous of those shorts. Meh 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 uh, has has been over <laughs> a, a couple of times. Uh, we had a fantastic uh, little exhibition around that at an MCM London Comic Con for anyone who got to check that out. Um, but yeah, like it was a really interesting project to kind of give the reins to, to a whole wealth of, of creators from kind of well-known names like kind of Mahiro Maeda through to, yeah, kind of young up-and-comers like Hibiki Yoshizaki, um, Yuhei Sakuragi of the Relative Worlds did, did an Evangelion-based one as well. Like, there's a lot of really interesting ones. But, uh, yeah, The Dragon Dentist was kind of like the, the first out of the door and, and very much a really good short piece as it was then to kind of set the tone for, for what was to come. And I guess uh, everyone involved liked it enough that they wanted to explore that world further and, and pull it out into something a bit more full-blown than, than an eight-minute short. Yeah, and another key another key part, which I think is one of the more fascinating elements of it, and this has actually been echoed in some conversations that we've had had the wonderful privilege of speaking to people who have been involved in, in the Animator Expo before, but it's the fact that it's not just focused on Evangelion, th- this entire Animator Expo, which you could argue would be a natural fit. They want to create a bunch of short films about that franchise, but no, this is literally, if you've got an idea roll with it and some of the the varying degrees of projects we have seen have been quite astounding sometimes quite what's the polite word to use interesting at times (laughs) and some of them have just been like yeah that that's perfectly logical you would go in that direction but then you look at something like dragon dentist and i mean first of all i'm gonna say i love dragon dentist just to put it out there i love the whole concept i love the way it comes across the way it looks and feels i really really like it and sort of skipping forward a little bit here but kind of trying to help further the conversation when you look at the presentation of the dragon dentist the first episode that we have all watched in preparation for for this episode of the podcast you can see so many tropes that you would see in anime but not just anime in general but also evangelion and i'll say kara based tropes at this point you can see it and it works wonderfully to blend it together right andy yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean the the production as a whole. Yeah, it's it's very easy to kind of you know make uh, allusions from some of the, the the entities that turn up in Dragon Dentists and kind of compare them to the angels and the the rebuild of Evangelion films in particular, like the kind of even things like this kind of the presentation of, of sounds. You know, kind of the. The, the scoring and sound effects kind of, you know, have a sort of slightly Evangelion-esque feel to it, like the, the character designs. And I mean, I ended up watching this in, in Japanese again, just because I remembered like the, how much I love the Japanese voice cast for this, because again, it's a lot of very recognizable voices from uh, from the world of Evangelion, from uh, Meg- Megami Hayabashila downwards. Um, so yeah, like it's, it, it's very much... It has it has a classic Gainax feel to it in a lot of ways. Like there there are there are moments in this that made me think not just about Evangelion but about things like Wings of Oniames and Fully Cully, which obviously like they share a director, so of course. Um Gurren in places as well, lots of things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, like there's very definitely kind of almost a little bit of a sort of greatest hits of sort of classic Gainax in, in here, which yeah, when you kind of start looking at some of the stuff involved kind of totally totally makes sense. When it comes to the Dragon Dentist just as an entity in and of itself, I first became aware of it because of this adaptation, or this, ex- I guess, expanded adaptation, we should say, produced by Kara that became the two-part feature we are discussing. But uh, Andy, what was your first experience of Dragon Dentist? De- oh, sorry, of Dragon Dentist, pardon me. Was it this version as well? Uh, no, no. So I, I started out with the Japan Animator Expo version. You know, I, I was following that thing religiously as, as they came out. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, really, because, you know, looking back at it, I never I never kind of watched that short and thought, oh, like, I, it would be really interesting to see a, a bigger, fully fleshed out version of this. I just kind of like enjoyed it for what it was as this slightly surreal kind of thing that you were just dropped into without all that much sort of background knowledge of like the world and stuff it it takes place in beyond the really broad strokes so it wasn't one of those things where I was sat down and was kind of like jonesing for like oh I'd love it if they made like a full-blown film or tv series of 
uh, of it. But then as soon as it was announced that they were making kind of a, a more of a feature length project out of it, like my my response then was like, oh yeah, of course, actually, that really makes sense. So it is really cool that they've gone back and revisited it and kind of really, you know, sort of uh, pulled it out into this sort of fully blown, fully realized world. Keith, from your perspective, how did you first become aware of Dragon Dentist? Uh, again, like Andy, it was through Animator Expo, but uh, I think I saw it at, uh, yeah, I think it was at Scotland Loves Anime that I saw it for the first time. And, and yeah, what were your thoughts on it? Well, it was just very, I mean, all uh, stupid thing to say because all of the Animator Expo shorts uh, are very different, but even with that, uh, Dragon Dentist really stood out because of its... Uh, odd little uh, concept and it, it's uh, like uh, you were saying earlier with all the uh, Gynax tropes being tied in it just it just stood out from all the other ones for, for me because all the other ones do have kind of based on standard established tropes but I think the world and background for this one was kind of very very different from a lot of the other ones and that just really stuck out to me it, especially with what the short deals with which is how uh, the main character becomes a dragon dentist their uh, trial to become one and it was just a very intriguing concept where it, in, as uh, Andy was saying, you just get dumped into this world, not really given any background because, you know, it's just a short. It just deals with the core tale of her trying to pass this test and you're just kind of brought along on this wild ride. You you, you get enough of what you need to know to work out what she's doing, but it did. It certainly left me at the end wondering about the greater world as a whole and was quite curious to see a bit more of this world, so I was quite happy when uh, I discovered that they were making the extended version, as it were, so it could maybe shed some light on the uh, interesting things it was hinting at in the short. Well, you've alluded to the concept there. This is as good a time as any to actually focus on what Dragon Dentist is about. So here is a synopsis for you. Dragons are strong enough to turn the tide in wars among nations, but they have a single weakness, their teeth. If a dragon's tooth is plagued by, by strong enough cavities, the dragon cannot fight. Hence, why there are dragon dentists that are in charge of keeping the dragon's teeth healthy and free from any additional debris, usually random objects, both big and small, found between teeth. One day, a fallen soldier is found among the debris by a dentist named Nonako, and his very existence is a foretelling of a disastrous event. So, of course, the now-revived soldier becomes a dentist in training as well, and with the help of Nonako and the other dentists, amidst a war at, it, at its climax, hidden agendas they are not even aware of begin to reveal themselves. I really like that as a synopsis, because it, it sort of adds in lots and lots of different elements. So, in terms of other background information when it comes to this, this particular version, I'll just call it the expanded version, not the Animator Expo version, it originally premiered in February 2017, and obviously produced by Kara, as we have said. When it comes to some of the staff involved, Kazuya Suramaki, hopefully I've pronounced that right, was the director, and as Andy has already alluded to, was the director of Fooly Cooly, FLCL, if you don't know if it's referred to that way. Also the director of a, a certain little film, which I know you're a big fan of, called uh, The End of Evangelium. Uh, yes, in, in, indeed he was, and, and we should we should also mention because we haven't mentioned it for this entire podcast yet, and we can't break with tradition. He also directed Die Buster, the uh, follow up to Gunbuster. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to bring that up at some point, admittedly. <laughs> in terms of a few other people involved in the project, the original story itself, actually, and this is worth bringing up. The actual original story and concept is by Atato Maijo. I hope it's pronounced correctly, who, Andy, worth noting because we've talked about the show a couple of times on other episodes of the podcast, was the series composition on ID Invaded. Uh, yes, yes, I, I definitely wanted to bring that up. Yeah, Otolomaijo is kind of actually best known more as a, as a novelist. Like, he actually has very few anime credits. Like, he's worked on a few manga as well. Um, but yeah, he was also the, the writer on, on It Invaded, which uh, yourself and me both uh, enjoyed greatly from uh, from recent anime seasons. Um, so yeah, this is actually, it's quite interesting as well, because, I mean, Otolomaijo, a lot of his output has been kind of mystery thrillers of, of various stripes and like in in comparison this is this is a very different kind of story i feel like to to his norm in in, in certain ways um but uh, yeah like it's, it's a really interesting credit and i'm i'm actually also quite curious as to what the the breakdown is in terms of 
writing for this extended version because i mean he's co-credited as writing on on this two episode version with um yuji enokido who w- was a writer on uh, evangelion utena razafon and a bunch of other stuff um so i'm kind of curious as to, to whether like maijo actually had any any great input on this expanded version or whether it was very much like you know he'd written the concept for the show and it was kind of down to yuji and akido to to kind of flesh it out but so uh, yeah like two two really kind of strong writing credits on there which again i think kind of makes sense when you you look at this and and what it does and another name, just to bring up, because of course they are involved, but we should make mention of it, Hideki Anno, who, as I mentioned, was the person who founded Studio Kara, also creator of Evangelion, and as well, I also wanted to bring up Andy, also heavily involved in Shin Godzilla. I'm pretty sure he directed it, if memory serves. Uh, yes, he was indeed the director of, of Shin Godzilla. And again, I mean, obviously, as producer, I'm, I'm sure his kind of actual touch on the, the narrative of this is is probably pretty pretty short, but like the, the opening few minutes of this series kind of like made me think not just of, of certain scenes from Evangelion but it did also make me think of kind of like Godzilla and, and perhaps less so Shin Godzilla but it did there was a slightly Godzilla-esque feel to, to the way some of that was kind of uh, portrayed. Exactly I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that and the other thing I also wanted to highlight the reason I mentioned Hideaki Anno is because he was also heavily involved in the sound and is credited as a sound director I believe for this expanded version of Dragon Dentist and the reason I bring it up is because the sound is ultra integral in this to how everything is presented. It's so damn good. Mm, yes, yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a really big fan of, of like the soundtrack for this, and yeah, like it, it has a, a real dynamism that kind of helps it helps it along right the way through. So, Keith, just to bring you into the conversation, do I, so I just don't leave you out forever here. When it <laughs> when when it comes to some of the names that we've mentioned there and some of the background of this, is, is there anything that stands out to you, or maybe now you've heard us mention some of those things, you you maybe think, oh, that makes a lot more sense. Why that maybe felt like that? Uh, going back to the point about the opening sequence, I mean, I hadn't really thought about it when I was watching it, but yeah, it does have a very Godzilla and Evangelion film feel to it uh, when you've got those battleships rolling along and then when all chaos breaks loose does have that kind of wider conflict feel to it plus uh, again what as andy was saying not for the uh, sound for this one is great because uh anno does like his sound so exactly right there's <laughs> some good stuff there i mean did i mean i know he's credited as uh dealing with the sound for this i mean was it just soundtrack or did he deal with the uh actual audio effects as well because there's some really because I'm, I'm a bit of a whore for decent sound effects and there's some really good ones in this one especially the dragon mm. i don't think he was involved in the music per se but i think in just the overall direction of the sound itself right andy yeah i would assume i mean i, I imagine he has kind of some input on all of that if, if he was kind of sound director but yeah i imagine it would primarily have been kind of yeah like you know dialogue foley effects all that kind of stuff because that is my jam <laughs> Now, another interesting detail I wanted to bring up about Dragon Dentist is, well, I mean, it was originally announced in August 2016, and as I mentioned, eventually aired in February 2017 on NHK. But another interesting part of this as well is that this two-part special is the first time that Kara has produced an anime for television. Now, obviously, they had produced the... The, the th- was it three? Yeah, it is three Evangelion films at this point, and they had all been released and such. But this is actually the first television production that Kara have done for any anime, which I think is a really cool thing to have because it's really damn good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sort of. I think it caught some people unawares. I mean, a when they did the Japan Anime Tracks, but you know, I'm not sure anyone was specifically expecting that. And uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, it, given that that it seemed like all focus, of course, for the studio was on Evangelion. It was kind of interesting to see them, you know, shift away and and do some some different things. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I think everybody's already pondering, like, you know, what what does Kara look like post, you know, the final Evangelion film when that finally gets out the door, you know, what is going to be next on the the docket for them? And yeah, like it would be really interesting to see them given their, given their production values, et cetera, et cetera, you know, whether they will try their hand at, you know, some TV anime or whether they will want to stick to films or, you know, what, what happens next for that studio. I'm, I'm, I'm jonesing for uh, Kaji and Masato, the early year. <laughs> 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 Would you say the early years or the college years? <laughs> yeah, the co- the college years because the very early years were very traumatic. <laughs> oh damn, good point. I hadn't thought that. Uh, <laughs> so 
So let's get on to talking about what we thought of Dragon Dentist. Now, the way we want to do this, everybody, is sort of in two different ways this time, because we actually fully appreciate that some people listening to this may not have actually watched Dragon Dentist yet, because we have heard from people who have just simply wanted to listen to what we've said, and, you know, we've sort of when, when the past ones, when it's been the first couple of episodes, it's not too bad in terms of spoilers, but given that Dragon Dentist is effectively a 90-minute feature split in two, we don't want to dabble too much into spoilers without giving people warning. So from now until we say, and obviously you can look at the time codes in the show notes so you'll know exactly when the spoiler talk begins, we're going to be going spoiler-free on discussions, just giving some overall thoughts on it. So Andy, let's start with you to begin with because I've already made it known I really freaking like this. Overall thoughts on, on part one of Dragon Dentist or just some thoughts overall you want to convey? Uh, yeah, I, I really love it. Like, I kind of, it's been quite a while because, you know, I, I first watched this extended version, um, you know, when it came out, when it, it streamed um, around the time of its broadcast. And it, so it's been a while. And so, like, revisiting it, it was, I there were some standout moments in my head that I, I very clearly remembered, but I kind of forgot just how much I liked this. I mean, you know, as somebody who's an Evangelion nerd, like all the all the kind of ties that you can make that we've already mentioned, you know, obviously all helps you along the way. But even outside of that, I think this is a really strong, just in terms of its narrative and world, like there is something about this whole kind of idea of like, hey, here's a world where there are dragons and, you know, their, their weaknesses, their teeth, as we mentioned, like, you know, got to keep the teeth clean. There's something that feels very much like a kind of, this sounds like a folk tale that you could genuinely believe kind of exists somewhere in some culture somewhere about, you know, there's some kind of like fable or, or some kind of, you know, folk story that would kind of cover the broad strokes of this. Like there's something very, it very much feels like a sort of a, a tale that's been sort of handed down. And there's something really kind of quaint and also enjoyable about that, that this feels like, this doesn't feel like a story that's been made for an anime. And I, I think it, it almost, again, goes back to that like classic Gynax feel of you think of, of you know Evangelion at its time, like Nadia, Oniames, a lot of those kind of top notch Gynax shows, one of the things that, that kind of made them so interesting at the time was that they just felt so fresh and creative at a time when, you know, the, the industry was maybe feeling stale in a lot of ways. And this has a kind of similar feeling of just like this is something completely unique and original and kind of out of the blue you know it doesn't feel like it's it, it's building on you know other similar series or anything like that and so I, I really enjoyed this as just something that felt completely unique within its kind of uh within the the frame that it gives you yeah and uh, one thing we actually have failed to mention which oh i'll blame myself for that is we've mentioned how that you watched it subtitled because you can you can watch it subtitled on crunchyroll or you can watch the english dubbed version on channel 4's all four streaming service and as mentioned we've got our home video release coming up which will include both versions on it as well so stay tuned for info about that but just in case anybody didn't know that is how you can watch them so keith moving on to you for, for some general thoughts. Anything you want to convey overall about Dragon Dentist from what you've seen? Uh, again, just following on from Andy, it's just how it is very different from a lot of stuff out there. I mean, isekais need not apply. Uh, <laughs> it's just, yeah, I mean, it's it's just got a really uh, solid feel to it. I mean, open, not going into spoiler territory, because very beginning it opens up with a naval battle scene and then it... Uh, goes out further because they, they mention the dragon and of course uh, being a western audience uh, have a have a very different kind of impression of what dragons look like based on uh, western mythology so uh, when it gets to the establishing shot of the dragon and it is very very as andy said very folklore it's a very folklory kind of dragon in terms of how it looks and, and uh, the visual style and how it moves it's very it's it's uh not what you would expect. It's very unusual, and it, it's much like the whole thing. Even though it does uh, use some established tropes, the whole feeling of the show is kind of very uh, left, left or right of center. It's not in a way that makes it bad. It's just like we, we've taken something that uh, you're used to, but we've made it, you know, different enough in a way that makes it unusual but not shit. <laughs> so that was my kind of overwhelming impression on. 
of the thing as a whole. Yeah, well, what I what I love most of all about Dragon Dentist, and it's something that we we sort of all touched on while sort of getting to this point in the conversation. I love how it gradually reveals different elements of the story, and you start to again. You can argue it's tropes and from different anime or just entertainment in general but the way it reveals different little elements of plot and you start to just sow the seeds together as you're watching it because Andy as you said I I've sort of had forgotten a lot of this from when I first saw it back when it first aired and just watching it and I was watching the English dub version so I'd never watched the dub before either which was another unique experience for me in that sense a good one I should say the dub's really freaking good but I love how just these small little elements just gradually get just sort of drip fed into it. And then you start putting the seeds together. And by the time things get a bit real, I'll, I'll phrase it that way so we don't jump into spoilers. It, so it almost just turns it on its head completely. And I, I loved it so much. And when it comes to, you mentioned the audio cast for the Japanese version, Andy, having a lot of Evangelion based people in it i'm not in, I, admitting i shouldn't look this up i'm not entirely sure when it comes to the english dub cast if anyone has been involved in evangelion before but the english dub cast is really really strong and i thought it conveyed everything absolutely fantastically keith how did you watch it uh i watched it uh on the on channel four cool so, so what did you think of the dub i really like the dub actually i wasn't sure what to expect i mean it's been a while since i'd seen the original uh Animator Expo version and uh, the extended version when I first saw that. So my memory of the Japanese voices isn't too clear, but they've done a they've done a good job on the English dub. Double characters uh, sound age appropriate for how they look, and yeah, they just it, it feels natural. I think they've, they've. I know I've been saying this with every show we've watched over the last few weeks, but then <laughs> we've been watching good stuff. So. I mean, hey, it's a credit to it's a credit to audio engineers and casting people actually picking the appropriate voices. Yeah, it is. They've done a good job, Mark, because it, it didn't break me out of my enjoyment of the show, which uh, some dubs have in the past. So, yeah, no, I liked it. So let's get into spoiler territory now, folks. So again, if you don't oh, want to listen God, to anymore, because it's been killing me to not say anything accidentally. <laughs> So yeah, folks, if you don't want to hear any spoilers from this point, remember, you can watch both episodes of Dragon Dentist on Channel 4's All Four service with the English dub. You can watch it subtitled on Crunchyroll. And of course, our home video release is coming as well. So make sure you head on over to alltheanime.com and pre-order your copy right now. So, Spoiler Zone starts now. So, uh, first of all, I want to begin with the with the opening battle scene that we alluded to earlier, because, like you said, Andy, got some Godzilla tropes to it and whatnot. But what I when you when I think back on it, that battle scene almost feels completely alien to the rest of Part One. It's really amusing because you sort of have this military battle, and while there is the military presence of what's the dude with the with the weird glasses, I think it's Ozawa that comes in who wants to speak to Bell after. Yeah, he's been after the military gets wind that they've got someone from the the other side. Aside from that, and obviously the stuff that happens later on during the battle stuff, the battle stuff on the dragon itself, there really isn't a lot of mention of the military. So when you think back on it, that that bit in itself almost feels incredibly alien. Yeah, I mean, for for yeah, like a lot of other series that would feature any kind of war or conflict would be almost singularly focused on that and kind of like, why is this war going on? Like, who are the two sides? Why are they fighting each other? You know, blah, blah, blah. What's the history of this conflict? Whereas the Dragon Dead is, is almost singularly uninterested in that. Like, it is very much a means to an end in terms of the broader narrative. And... You can kind of see why once you actually switch to seeing the Dragon Dentists doing their thing, because they are kind of, while they are clearly on a side in a sense, they are very much agnostic to the whole conflict itself. Like, I mean, there is a point, you know, where this this enemy soldier Bell kind of, you know, has has arrived effectively in their in their care, and uh, somebody from the military comes to interrogate them, and they basically just kind of like take him in and say, nope, like he's one of us now. You know, even though this would maybe be helpful to your war effort, we're more interested in kind of, you know, these individuals as people. And, you know, uh, they very much seem like they want to stay out of the actual conflict. So, yeah, the, the war is very much like extraneous to anything really that's happening here. It's more if, if it has any impact at all, it's far more kind of the consequences of of the conflict than the actual kind of direct interest in who's fighting who and why. 
Yeah, com- completely agree on that notion. And uh, Keith, from your perspective, when you think back on that that battleship sequence at the beginning and just the elements of war in general, any thoughts you want to convey? Yeah, well, that, it's I mean, it's a good little sequence that because that, that fleet just gets absolutely decimated, and you're not entirely sure what they get shot with. I mean, even during that first episode, it's not really touched on. It's never explicitly stated, but it's quite heavily implied that obviously the dragon has used whatever powers it has to just totally destroy a fleet of battleships without breaking a sweat. And then once you've had that battle scene, and then it cuts to this... It's just, yeah, you've got this battle scene with all these uh, basically World War II-era style of battleships. And then you cut to this dragon, this folklorist dragon, you know, riding through the air, holding a water dipper and a load of other shit out of its many arms. And it's just like, it's just this element that is out of, you know, a uh, a woodprint or an old story that exists in this world of obviously quite advanced technology. There's obviously a mis- mysticism element to it because, uh, you know, as that first episode progresses, it's... Uh, is revealed that the, the dragons themselves are not the entire dragon. They act as some kind of conduit to the, the world of the dead because these the souls of the departed pass through their teeth on their way mm. to the afterlife. Is is the implication, and you get the you know it gives you more of an impression of how important the role of the dragon dentists are because it's it's facilitating the uh, the flow you know of of the living. From souls from the world of the living through to the world of the dead, because if if it gets screwed up, then you know everything is going to go to shit. It's an interesting metaphor as well, because the dragons are in the sky, so it's essentially people like rising up to heaven, and can they pass like the final test? It, arguably, purgatory. Can they get through it to get there? Yeah, because I think they touch on that briefly. Because when they we got that sequence where they're cleaning out. Uh, all the debris from between the dragon's teeth, because you get all the paraffin, all the people's paraphernalia, clothes, helmets, yeah. guns, and stuff that, you know, as they say, the stuff that they don't need now that they're going on to the next life just gets kind of coughed up in, from the teeth into the dragon's mouth. Yeah, I actually think that, and this is jumping forward quite ahead here, but, you know, once Bell. I think Bell is like taking a, a breather, and then one of the other dentists just kind of says, "Hey, new kid, could you stop slacking and help us clean up some stuff?" And then they have this moment where Bell suddenly sees a lot of military-based equipment from the country he's from. And I actually, random as this may sound, and Andy, I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, but that I think is one of the more emotionally and story-driven, impactful scenes because I think that's almost the moment where Bell truly realizes. He comes to a realisation of where he is and probably what he needs to do now. I think it fu- he fully grasps the situation. At that point, I think the character takes a dramatic shift from just from his demeanour and his overall outlook on what where things stand. From passive participant to... Uh, well, not passive participant. From passive to active participant. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, it is quite an effective... an affecting moment, even. Uh, in the, uh, It's also an interesting one because it sort of... Yeah, it differentiates kind of... Bell from perhaps some of the the other characters there, but it's also one that I think is it almost differentiates the audience from the the Dragon Dentist at that point because I, I think you know watching it sort of even from that detached view, having seen that opening scene of the kind of the war and, the, and some of the carnage going on, like it's quite there is there is an impact to seeing all those kind of you know discarded kind of you know items and, and paraphernalia and you kind of you you know instantly what that means and what that represents within this world in in a way that i feel like even you know the, the other characters are almost inured to that it's just like it's just a part of what they do a part of their their job effectively whereas obviously for bell and i think for the audience it's kind of a far more direct thing of like you know that is a representation of the people who have, who have lost their lives in that conflict Agreed. I can't add anything to that. (laughs) So uh, doubling back for a second, because another part which is uh, another fascinating moment is when we're first introduced to to Nonako and like when she wakes up from her sleep and then she sort of walks outside, she goes to have a wash and that's when we start to realise, oh, wait a minute, this is like a giant dragon floating in the sky where they're sleeping is hanging from like the body of this dragon. And the, the, the scale of this thing is utterly insane. And I love the reveal of that. And then just also how obviously the dentists are totally fine with them bit themselves being dentists, but just how they're all going about their business. And when you're a viewer for the first time looking at that 
and you just think, wait a second, what? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think. Yeah, I absolutely adore kind of the the whole setting of that because yeah, you kind of you, you have all the individual components and then once you piece them all together kind of visually and you actually get to see like you say all these kind of houses and etc that have just been kind of like just just sort of draped onto this dragon effectively to you know work as a sort of mobile mobile home slash workspace is is it's a really cool really cool moment. I'm I'm a big sucker for for kind of you know pan outs that suddenly give you this this big bit of world building of like you know oh by the way the schools and aircraft carrying girls and panzer etc etc like <laughs> I, I I love those kind of moments and this is a, a a really good one of those where you kind of you you suddenly get clued in on this big part of how this whole world kind of operates and it's just like it's really well illustrated and it's really well realized. So Keith, if you were stuck in a dragon on the sky like that, and you were there for the first time, how do you think you'd react? I think I would see uh, how high up I was and the precarious nature of the structures I was on, and would probably shit my pants. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, their settlement is just seemingly pinned into the dragon's, the underside of the dragon's jaw, just kind of hanging underneath its chin. Whereas you know the uh, military installation is kind of perched on its back. Keeping that sort of separation between the uh, military and the dragon dentist, because, yeah, obviously, it's not touched on too much, but uh, th- there's obviously a kind of uh, simmering conflict underneath there. I mean, the dragon dentists, as Andy mentioned earlier, don't really care about anything else beyond the well-being of the dragon, whereas obviously the military installation on its back, uh, the offices in there, they're keen on prosecuting the war. I mean, it's never really never really mentioned why the dragons are allied to this particular nation other than beyond the fact that uh, presumably the people who are the dragon dentists who look after it remember this nation and that is and that is the deal presumably you know they look after the dragon and in return the the dragon helps them out in fights because you know fair enough (laughs) the whole kind of precarious nature of those buildings and that situation i I think is really comes to the fore when you get to kind of the action scenes later in this episode because you get there's a real there's a really almost terrifying feeling of this realization that all of these characters when you know things are getting active let us say like they're, they're always not far away from just kind of falling tens of thousands of feet and you know the the kind of um equipment slash weapons that they have like all of that stuff there there's a lot of real kind of precarious sort of higher wire shenanigans go on like later in this episode and i think those establishing shots really help to give impact to those moments because it's not just kind of you know your typical sort of anime action scene where it's like you know okay you're you're maybe going to crash into a mountain or something and that's going to hurt it's like literally you are you are inches away from falling to your death at any moment. And there is something kind of quite butter clenching about watching that stuff when you start to kind of think about it in those terms. That does kind of raise an interesting point about the characters within the show, though, because obviously uh, if you've seen the short and then as it goes on into the episode to become a dragon dentist, you go through this test where basically it's revealed to you the uh, manner of your death, the moment of your death, how you are going to die. So, And if you accept that this is a thing that's going to happen, accept your destiny, you pass the test and you become a dragon dentist. But assume because of that, they don't, because all the best acrobats in the real world are the ones who don't seem to give a flying F about the danger below them. And I suppose that would be true with these characters as well. When you know the actual moment you're going to die, you can be as laissez-faire as you want about leaping about on this dragon. Because unless you saw yourself die by falling to your death off the dragon, you know you're going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the other interesting element, you know, Jeremy kind of mentioned the whole kind of like, you know, potential sort of heaven slash purgatory illusion of the whole thing of, you know, rising up, et cetera, et cetera. Like, yeah, the whole fate angle of it is kind of a really interesting wrinkle on that as well. Like the idea that all of these characters have been selected because they've been shown their fates and, you know, how they're going to die. And they've accepted that rather than fighting against it. And it's sort of... I'm not quite sure what to make of that in terms of kind of this episode particularly, but it is a it is a really interesting sort of addition to sort of the lore of this series that that sort of does does give some real impact to it once you get into the the second half of this episode yeah another another interesting point on that and this is sort of focusing on the character elements now is 
because it's not established until fairly late on, like when when the big battle with the with the Tengen Mushi, if I've got the name correct, occurs, and that's just kind of wreaking havoc everywhere, and ultimately, you know, ultimately there is a sacrifice involved. Essentially, the way the character's demeanor, it's never really established until pretty much after that battle. Like why everyone is just kind of so okay with doing this and very can just go about their business and like you guys like you were just saying like when you look at Nomiko for example she's just really not carefree but she's very confident in her ability and even when you see her test and how she you know accepted she got through the test and she's just well up for it because she just wants a different life and her main reason being about wanting to eat good rice which I'm sure everyone can relate to. But in terms of the character's demeanor, especially at the moment, yeah, <laughs> exactly right. But in terms of just the overall character, direction's the wrong word. In terms of the char- each character's purpose, it's not really established until after that ten gen mushi battle. Why everyone is the way they are, but there is absolutely no mention of the guys of the dentist, excuse me, knowing how they are going to die already. And it, it's only when you add that element into it, it. it like I said, it sort of flips the situation on its head, which is what I alluded to earlier. Like, that's one of the biggest moments where you suddenly just think, wait a second, what? They already know how they're going to die? Yeah, it gives a lot of perspective to what you've already seen so far in the show. Also mm. makes Bell's situation quite interesting because due to the way he's turned up, uh, he's, I was about to say he hasn't uh, passed the usual test because he hasn't uh, seen his own death, but, you know, because he has actually died, though, so he's a bit different. Yeah. So, so, so I, I suppose that brings up an interesting question now, because I'm actually going to, admittedly, and sort of while we've been discussing this, I don't think I've actually ever seen part two of this. I don't know why. I just haven't. But when it comes to... You really should, because shit gets very real. Oh, no, I, I want to. Like, having watched this like part one last night in preparation for this, I really want to go and watch part two now. But it's just sort of occurred to me in that sense that... What's the word that they used for Bell to describe what he is? I want to say it's the, the Revenant. Revenant. Yeah. It is the Revenant. So, because he has actually died, like you say, and we get glimpses of how he actually died, is it fair to assume, based on the information presented in part one, that everyone who is a dragon dentist has not already died? Yes. Because Revenants, as is mentioned earlier in the show, are un- unusual and normally uh, are a precursor to bad luck. Because mm. when somebody who has died is uh, basically spat out of the dragon's teeth, technically alive again, it uh, foretells disaster. As you'll see when yeah. you watch the second part, something disastrous does happen. I mean, to be fair, things are getting pretty disastrous in the end of this first half. Like the, the, uh, yeah. thing, thing, Things are not going well. Actually, just to just go, go back to Bell briefly, because... I'm not, I'm not sure, but am I, am I right in thinking uh, Nonako's death vision... Uh, the person who shoots her, that's just an older bell. It appears to be. It's left it certainly very... looks like yeah, it's left ambiguous, but it yeah. certainly looks like that. God, but I, yeah. can't remember, I can't remember what happens to him in the second episode. Actually. Yeah, I did, I did wonder that as well. Yeah, I did wonder that as well, because when they show that when they show Nonako's test and you see that she is gonna get uh, from a credit, she's gonna get shot by like a blonde guy. I did wonder if it was Bell, but I didn't think it was him. Not just because of a different hairstyle, but just like the, the general look of the character just seemed different. I don't yeah, know whether that's just me jumping to conclusions, or maybe there's going to be a time skip and I just don't know it or something. But well, well, that's the thing. I mean, from the vision, it's obvious that uh, Nonako is older. So, uh, and that's the thing. I can't remember Bell's status at the end of the uh, at the end of the uh, second episode. But to me, it certainly looks like an older version of Bell. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely like, as well. Yeah, yeah, like e- even if it's some kind of like you know, it's, it's some kind of a, a false attempt to get you to think that. There's there's definitely a, a very deliberate attempt to make you ask that question one way or the other. Yeah, it's just again, especially considering the nature of his character and from what I remember of what happens in the second episode, it really makes. If it is if it is Bell in the future Death Vision, it really makes me incredibly curious as to what situation has occurred where he would actually do what needs to be done. Because well, what happens in the Vision? Because certainly looking at the Vision, obviously whatever conflict is going on in the world is far from resolved, possibly escalating. It's just a shame that those questions don't really get answered. <laughs> It's an interesting thing when it comes to how death 
I'll put it in inverted commas, is handled in this in the show in general. Because when when after the Tengen Mushi battle and the, you know the sacrifice happens and whatnot, and the way that they sort of honor the dead, it's it's really weird. After all the frenetic nature and all of the frantic action and you know people worrying how are they going to take care of the drag dragon's tooth and how are they going to survive? Is anyone actually going to die here? All of this happens, and then it suddenly feels very subdued with the way that they have to honor that death. I think it was um, Shuzo, the character's name, who ultimately you know, sacrificed himself and whatnot. But it was just very... In terms of a tonal shift, it, it, again, it's another moment in this thing where it, it shows a completely different side of this world, which just flips everything on its head in a way. Like, when... Because what was it? How was it that happened? Like, Shuzo dies, Nonako goes over to try and see if he's okay, and then the head... The head dentist, whose name escapes me off the top of my head, he basically just goes, essentially goes, today we've lost a comrade, like, let's honour him. And then everyone walks away. And then later on, they honour him, like, by all drinking, like, a cup of sake and whatnot. It, it just seemed very... Tone death is the really wrong phrase to use, but it's the only one that comes to mind in what I'm trying to say. It, it just seemed like... Uh, I get everyone decided they wanted to be a dragon dentist and they had to go through the test and they knew how they were going to die and they all keep that information to themselves. But in terms of the way... In terms of everyone coming to terms with the fact that that person is now gone, it, I don't know about you guys, it just kind of seemed very weird in terms of a reaction. Maybe it's because they've seen it happen before. Like, they alluded to the fact it's been a long time since something like this last happened. Well, again, I think it... Uh... It just, I mean, in, in that in that scene, I think Bell acts as the uh, viewpoint of the audience there, kind of agreeing with your point of view, saying this is this is really strange. What's this all about? But again, you've got this group of people who all know they're going to die. So, well, all know how they're going to die in the moment of their death. Essentially, again, proviso on that, they don't know the exact moment, but because they've seen how it occurs, they can probably guess around the time it is about to happen. But because of that, uh, my thinking is. Uh, because you can't become a dragon dentist without, in, in effect, just accepting your destiny and how you're going to die. So even when someone dies, though people are sad about it, it's I suppose it's technically not uh, something that they really need to be sad about because they know the person who has died knew this was coming, has accepted it, and because they know they've accepted it, they know this is something that they've... You know, something they have chosen, they, they are happy for it to happen. So even though people are sad that this person has died, they know that they've accepted it and they went to their death, effectively, regardless of the circumstances, in peace because they knew it was coming and have already accepted it years ago. So yeah, I, yeah. Think that's what, I think that's why you get that kind of, like you say, not really tone death, but that kind of just very calm, understated approach to it. It's like, yeah, we're sad he's gone, but he accepted it. This is part of who we are. And I think that juxtaposition of the two is kind of a, a pretty direct lead into then what happens at the end of this episode, because once you see kind of Shibana's deal where clearly there, there is there is a history there of, of, you know, somebody very dear to her that has died some time ago. And clearly, while well, the idea is that, you know, that's OK, that's just accepting fate and, you know, you you have a, a moment of, of kind of you know remembrance and then you move on like Shibana has clearly been completely unable to do that and has kind of like fostered whatever dark thoughts in her head as a result of, of that death for many many years to the point where you know she, she's ready for for some kind of vengeance um, and so I think that's a very direct lead into like, hey, maybe maybe this is not actually the healthy way to deal with the passing of these people, regardless of whether they knew what was you know ultimately going to happen to them, because she is very much like the the embodiment of uh, of perhaps you know not grieving properly <laughs> as it uh, when it comes to it, hmm. fighting against destiny, yeah, which yeah. is always a fun trope, and the way this uh, one is done is very unusual considering the nature of how the universe works. Yeah, I suppose that's probably the, the, the perfect lead-in into sort of how things... It, it, just the, the climax of this first episode, when we have the, 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 there seemingly being an explosion on one of the teeth and there being the race to try and you know fix it, if you will, and then it turning out, like you mentioned, Andy, that um, that it was her, whose her name escapes me again. I want Shibana. to say it's Shibana, Shibana, thank you. But it turns out it's Shibana that basically did it, like set off a little explosion, has been housing 
a, a Mushi, like, kind of like in a cage, basically, since, like, the incident with her former lover occurred, and then she's got it hidden inside her tooth, which is still one of the freakiest things I've seen in quite a while with an anime. And then oh, she yeah, has, like, a bit of a transformation yeah. sequence, and then she just goes full-blown mental on things. It, it, in a way, it kind of goes Evangelion on us. Little bit. So, Andy, do you recall when you first saw that, that this thing happen, be it like when you originally saw it or just from last night when you watched it, what were your thoughts when that, that, that turn happened, if you will? That heel turn, if you want to use a wrestling analogy. Um, I mean, I, I think the, the precise reaction that I had was, holy shit. Because, uh, yeah, like you, you really don't particularly see that coming because, yeah, all, all of those characters are, are, are very kind of chill in pretty much everything they're doing. They're very just focused on their job. Like, it seems like... It seems you're kind of left at that point thinking like, well, I don't know where this story goes from from here, and then suddenly it kind of it drops that massive kind of plot twist on you, and uh, then yeah, it, it all goes uh, it all goes nuts for like the the last kind of five ten minutes or so. So yeah, it's it's a really good it's a fantastic hook into watching that second episode. Like last night, I resisted watching it just so that I could talk about this in isolation, um, but it definitely made me want to kind of rewatch the second half of it because. There is a lot to kind of unpack in terms of like, well, what the heck happens now by the time you get to the end of that first episode. So it's a, it's a really good turn. It's also the one thing that I could, I kind of remembered that made me end up watching it with the Japanese audio because it's a, a fantastic uh, moment of Megumi Hayabashi's kind of range from just kind of like normal friendly to kind of slightly, well, slightly decidedly unhinged, uh, just kind of on on the the turn the, the turn of a sixpence, and it's a, a really great kind of voice acting performance on the Japanese side there as well. Keith, any thoughts on the turn from your point of view? purely much like Andy, that when it occurs, it's just like, well, that escalated quickly. Because <laughs> <laughs> after that, because, yeah, it does, le- does lead into it very, not so much suddenly, it's just, yeah, just massive escalation because you just had this kind of very calm, heartfelt character moment between Godo and Shibana talking in the teeth of past, you know, their patriots dying. She goes off and then he just kind of turns over to the sort of like, girl. Uh, in progress of repair tooth and notices something in there and then it suddenly cuts to them in their uh, recreational area he's there with the evidence just kind of accusing her in front of all the other dentists laying out the evidence and then it's suddenly she's just like well jigs up time to go full-on be absorbed by a monster become a hybrid thing and make all your lives very difficult it's an interesting moment that scene as well because when he is he is accusing her just outright and everyone is shocked the one consistent thing that all the other dentists keep saying is that she's one of the longest-serving dentists because it was her, Godo, and obviously the lover I, that, that passed away ages ago. I think they said they'd been there for, like, over 16 years at that point. Yeah, and, and, and the, it's said and, in the episode that they're the only ones left from that original crowd, from that photo that, uh, that shows them all of them, all of those yeah. younger. Yeah, and it's interesting that the the reason everyone thinks it couldn't possibly have been her that had done anything is because she's one of the longest serving ones, which speaks more, which speaks further to the point that Andy made about perhaps the way to grieve is not to be a dragon dentist. <laughs> yeah, like especially when you've been around that long, and I mean, because because there's also a feeling when they mention like the length of time that the, the lover that died was probably you know, just scratching the surface of all the people that have probably died in front of her. Cause like you would assume that if you're hanging around on a dragon, that is probably a relatively common occurrence to see people kind of die in that line of work. And you can kind of imagine there being sort of, you know, a, a decade plus of kind of cumulative kind of grief and, and upset and post-traumatic stress, basically from all the people who have probably lost their lives around you while you're there uh, even more so where you're then perhaps knowing what your fate is kind of further down the line, knowing that you're going to be around for a while, just watching all of these people dying. And I, I think there's, there's definitely kind of a real power. It's, it's almost kind of impressive because there is almost a sense of sympathy towards that character that like, it's kind of understandable that, that all of this resentment has kind of built up in such a way and, you know, to, to, to lead to these sort of dire circumstances because it, it does not seem like a, a fun time for anyone. 
So I think from there, we're going to gradually draw our spoiler talk to a close. But before we do, I mean, I've got one more thing I want to bring up in terms of something that I really, really loved about this. But any other additional points or perhaps character notes or how things were presented that you guys want to bring up? Keith, starting with you, anything else you wanted to make mention of? No, no, no. I think I've uh, covered all of the things that really stuck out to me in that in that first episode. Andy? Uh, yeah, I think I've pretty much covered everything. I mean, I, I think the only final thing I'd mention on like the visual side of it, you know, I, I really like all of the visual stylings of this, but I think this this episode also has a really good use of lighting. Like, you kind of get everything from these really kind of quite beautiful sunrises through to these really kind of oppressively dark moments, and like that entire episode makes a really good use of its lighting throughout to kind of set its tone in a way that again is. It's a very sort of Gynax moment. I feel like it's sort of it's it's something that they were always very good at. But there's definitely always kind of a an atmosphere to to every scene in terms of the lighting that kind of matches what's going on. And I, and I think that it's those little things that kind of really add up in terms of like putting the the story across as well. Com- completely agree. It is phenomenal on, on the lighting sense, and like you say, just the way it puts across different situations. Like the scene where we have the Shibana turn. That is a prime example of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and also, you know, the scene where uh, we, we kind of get to see, you know, Nonako's fate as, as she has seen it, like that's an incredibly sort of darkly lit scene, which again, helps with, with what we were talking about earlier, where you're not quite sure who's on the, the other end of that fate. Um, but it's also like really good as this kind of oppressively dark and, and kind of sinister moment. So the final thing I wanted to bring up, which is it's not something we've actually mentioned at all during this, which in hindsight, I, I'm, I guess I'm surprised, but I'm not, is the actual tools that the dentists work with. Mm. Because they're really cool, like not only just, you know, things to like, just like, you know, destroy Mushi with, like be it that they stab them or whatever, but how in the fight with the Tengen Mushi, they just suddenly become these giant weapons you've seen out of a shonen anime. It's like they've yeah. like gone all Bankai on us during Bleach or something. I'm, I mean, I... I, I, I was almost having some slight kind of like kill the kill moments with some. Yeah, of actually, that. that's a far better comparison. It's almost you know. yeah, it's almost like the sort of you know a sort of a, a toothpick version of the <laughs> of, of the uniforms in, in kill the kill in a weird way. Yeah, because again, Keep- that's that's almost kind of like a mystical element to the show. Because where obviously you've seen all the military stuff with traditional hardware and guns, they have these you know the, these tool elements. Well, these where you see them ripping off uh, the little prayer charms in order to engage their battle modes, as it were. They suddenly morph into a variety of interesting dental tools. I think there's one that is very scissor blade-ish as well, later mm. on, going back to your point about Kill the Kill. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just even the way they transform for that, there's definitely, like, I mean, I don't know whether Trigger were kind of involved with, with any of this, given that they were quite closely involved in, in, in a fair amount of Japan Animator Expo stuff, but that was the one moment that made me kind of think of uh, th- think of, of their kind of output in particular. So with that being said, everybody, we come to the end of the, of the spoiler talk. Well, I, I say that because the next section will still involve spoilers in the grand scheme of things, because, guys, I'm not letting you get off easy. I hope you took some notes. No. Because we have got <laughs> the next edition of Jeremy's ill-fated pub quiz, I, I have a lot of notes, but their legibility is questionable. So, <laughs> now, given what happened during the last quiz that I did, there are f- there are by no means as many questions, and also given the fact it's one episode, so it's like you know I, I've I've sort of tried to be very selective on what questions I've done, so there are nowhere near as many as usual. So you have to be extra on the ball today to make sure one of you guys wins, or we have a tie, and then it'll be incredibly awkward. Some of the questions that we have may touch on things that we've already discussed, which doesn't matter because that's how this discussion-based thing works. So let's see if we were all paying attention to what was being said. So, question one. And in fairness, this is, I don't think this is actually something we've referenced at all, like directly in this way, so we'll see if anyone was paying attention. At the very start of the episode, we have the big ship battle that we've mentioned, where the entire fleet was wiped out. Based on the radar, how many boats were involved in this conflict? Now, the way we're going to answer this, again, we'll do it like we did last time, in that you both have got to have your answer ready, and then one of you will go first and then say the other. So, Andy, I'm going to let you make the the judgment call. I'm currently holding a pen in which hand of mine, and if you get it right, you get to decide if you go first or second. Uh, Left. Incorrect. (laughs) So, Keith, do you want to go first or second? Yeah, I'll go first. Cool. So, how many boats were there? Eight. 
Andy? 12. Keith is correct. Yeah, Next question. The first thing I noticed in the episode, I'm like, I bet Jeremy will pick this for a question. <laughs> Next question. Nomiko saves Bell from being sucked into the tooth near the start. When Bell re- regains consciousness and is very confused by what's going on, what does he reach for, thinking he has been captured by the enemy? Keith. Uh, he reaches for his gun holster to get his gun, which is no longer there. Andy? Yeah, he reaches for his pistol. Correct. A member of the military, named Ozawa, comes wanting to take Bell away for questioning, but he is told he cannot go against what mutually agreed order. What is the name of that order? The Dragon Code. Andy? The Dragon Code. Correct. During the conversation that Nonako has with Bell while he won't eat food that she's prepared for him, we get a bit of background information about Bell. What profession does he reveal his parents did before they passed away when he was young? Keith. Uh, ah, they were doctors. Andy? Yeah, they were doctors. Correct. So, throughout the episode, we're introduced to various types of mushi that the dentist must remove from the dragon's teeth. When the Tengen mushi starts to wreak havoc, we see the tools that the dentists have, and they have special power-ups to contend with these, as we've just mentioned. How do they activate these power-ups? Keith? They rip a little prayer charm off their tool sticks. Andy? Yeah, they use a prayer bead, I guess they are. Correct. Mr. Shuzo ends up sacrificing himself for the Tengen Mushi to be stopped. How is it revealed the body will be removed from the dragon? Keith? Oh, they just they just let the little gribbly things eat him. <laughs> The mushies. Andy? The little grubby mushies. Yeah, the, the mushi just uh, dispose of the body in ways that we will not dwell on. <laughs> little gribbly mushies is officially the title for this episode, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Final question. <sighs> so, Keith, if you get this, you've won. I'm just saying. <laughs> if, you, if you don't, then I need to come up with a tiebreaker. Lay it on me. What does meeting your coming brink mean? Uh, That means it's uh, when you die as a dragon dentist. Andy? Yeah, you're deaf. Correct. Which means you're winner, Keith Copping! I will celebrate as I always do. With great enthusiasm. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I guess I will ask you both, was that quiz far more palatable than they have been previously? Well, honestly, I had no problem with the last one. It's, you know, a, a few awkward questions is good for mixing up the scoreline. It's just because I, you... I was expecting more like that. It's like, as I said, when I, because when that episode opens and it's got all the warships on that radar screen, I'm like, yeah, this, this just screams like uh, a Jeremy style awkward question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I... the ships. Yeah, I, I only missed that one because I was asleep in my dinner when I started watching this, so I, I wasn't really paying. To, I, was, I was paying more attention to my meatballs at that point. If, if uh, you'll excuse the euphemism, well, that, that, that paying too much attention to your balls has cost you the victory. <laughs> so, would you like to know what, what what the tiger breaker that I just came up with would have been? Go on. How many onigiri had Nonako made for Bell? Oh, that, that's a trick question because it was jelly donuts. <laughs> And there was two of them, as I recall. Yeah, I say I, I can remember him kind of double fisting them. Um, was <laughs> an unfortunate euphemism, but <laughs> so from there, everybody, thank you very much for listening to the podcast today. As we mentioned, you can watch the Dragon Dentist right now on Channel 4's All Four service, dubbed, and then on Crunchyroll subtitled. But. If perhaps you're wanting to actually add this to your collection, as we mentioned, you can now pre-order our release of The Dragon Dentist. It's going to be available as a Blu-ray and DVD collector's edition set that will be released on the 8th of June 2020, if you're listening to this in the far-flung future. Inside, it, well, the actual release itself will come packed in a rigid case. There will be a digipack to hold both of the discs. There will be a poster of the key visual of, of the film. And, as well you will get a 28-page booklet that's split into four different sections. You get information and art about the characters, information about the world of the Dragon Dentist, so some of the things we may have alluded to here may have been discussed, other elements not so much. 
You also get an interview with the director and some comments from some staff members as well, including, Andy, one Mr. Hideyekiano himself. Mm, yeah, indeed. It's, uh, it's going to be a, a really nice little set. And I mean, as, as we've mentioned, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of cool stuff visually to this uh, to this uh, little series. So uh, I think it is well worth your time. And that pre-order offer is live until Thursday, the 30th of April at our alltheanime.com online shop. I should add that this product is not one that is only going to be available from our alltheanime.com online shop. It is going to be available through other retailers as well. But given the way things currently are, allow some time for retailer listings to, to appear and update accordingly. But you will be able to get it from other retailers as well. Andy, Keith, before we wrap up, any other thoughts, be it about the home video release, be it about Dragon Dentist in general, or just anything else that you want to convey before we let people get back to their weekend? Um, my, my final thing that, that I didn't mention, having talked about how good the music of Dragon Dentist is, is that uh, it contains a couple of songs by Dowco, who also create the ending theme and, and the main song for Fireworks, another one of our titles. So just to uh, have a, a little nice little anime limited tie in there, uh, because the music is also very good. The music's awesome. So good. Keith, what about you? Anything else you want to bring up? Just much like uh, all the quality shows we've been watching in these podcasts, uh, take the time to give it a watch, or better yet, pick up our lovely collector's edition when that comes out. It's going to be Indeed. a nice little set. Indeed. Folks, thank you very much for listening. Andy and I will be back on either Monday or Tuesday. It'll be one or the other. Peek behind the curtain, we haven't decided what day yet, but we will be back with another podcast for you early next week. So have a great weekend. And if you haven't already, go back in, into the archives and listen to our past podcast. We've got the one from Jonathan Clements last week, which was a fascinating insight into who isn't Hajime Yatate and more. Heck, even Reindeer Herders were brought up in that, so you're bound to learn something in that episode. And then, of course, we've got the other Watchalog episodes that we've had on Cardcaptor Sakura, Megalobox, and Escaflone. Exactly, yeah, Escaflone. So give those a watch as well. Folks, thank you very much for listening. Have a great weekend. From Team All the Anime, signing out. See ya. Bye. Bye.